Welcome back to an uproarious profundity. It is unconventional wisdom for you, my fellow spiritually attuned go-getter. I am your host, Meggie Lee Calvin. Friends call me Meg. Feel free to do the same. I am a coach. I am a best-selling author. And obviously, I'm a podcaster here today with my friend Dylan. Welcome. Meg, what is going on? Super excited to be here with you and all your listeners. Yay, I'm so excited that you're here. And uh, Dylan is one of the CEOs at Mavdon Investments, which, if I remember right, from your partner in crime, Alex Donalo, who was on the show a few weeks back, you you began this career at 17. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So the way that things kind of evolved into real estate always had been an entrepreneur. Uh, my parents both were as well. So kind of had that example for me. And it was my senior year of high school. I was going doing like running start college classes was running a landscaping company. And I went to a Tony Robbins event and got involved in a real estate program they had to offer. And throughout that summer, right after high school, was learning everything and saving up money from my landscaping company and then jumped into real estate pretty much at the end of that summer. And that was 2017. And so I'm a young pup, but uh, it's been lots of fun in the industry. Yes, that's so amazing. And I I totally relate in regards to I had a nudge, a strong nudge when I was 17 of the career that I am doing now. And I, I honor that, that awesome side of your story. And it sounds like you are like our listeners, a spiritually attuned go-getter. And I will finish telling our listener about Mavdon Capital. So Mavdon is a commercial real estate investment group focused on buying, selling, and restoring mobile home communities across the nation. With refined systems and an in-house team of MHP experts, we specialize, should I say they specialize, in all aspects of acquisitions, value add, and management. Dylan is also an outdoor enthusiast who loves to explore, hike, surf, snowboard, and spend time with his wife, friends, and family. So, um, and as you said before we went on the air, you're, you're a very experienced podcast guest, but you have yet to share an uproarious profundity. I don't know if I'm ready for it, but I will, <laughs> am ready to embrace it, right? You know, everybody's so stiff with podcasting, so it's, it's cool to have some fun. Yes, so, so cool. Okay, so we will, we're going to survive through four ridiculously uproarious moments of trivia. And then Dylan has no, he has some idea which ones I want to come back to, but he also has no idea of which ones we're going to come back to in conversation. He has three seconds on the clock to say something, an answer, or we both shall receive the buzzard. Oh, the stakes are high now. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. Speaking of steak, your first question for this or that is salad or steak? Salad with steak chopped up inside of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's my kind of salad. Yes. Bungee jump or karaoke? Bungee jump. Boat shoes or sandals? Um, Oh, like boat shoes. Is that what you're saying? Like, or like actual, okay, (laughs) sandals. (laughs) I was like, boats, shoes, and sandals have nothing to do with each other, but boat shoes, okay, (laughs) sandals. Burgundy or pale green? Pale green. Beer or scotch? Beer. Country or rock? Mm, Depends if I'm working out or on a road trip. Working out is rock, country's on a road trip. Well said. It'd be the same in our household, too. Nice. March or September? September. Traditional worship or contemporary worship? Mm, Contemporary. Coming into the home stretch, fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Caroling or ringing the Salvation Army bell? (laughs) Ringing the Salvation Army bell. (laughs) whatever that means (laughs) yeah spotify or pandora spotify congratulations you survived one of four rounds 
Uh-oh, whoopee. All right. True or false? True or false? It's rude to tell someone they have food in their teeth. False. True or false? Snowboarding is harder than snow skiing. True. True or false? It's possible to believe in Jesus too much. False. True or false? Sushi? True. True. For sure. True or or false? Getting married during a pandemic was easier than I thought. True. True or false? Your breath is your lifeline. True. True or false? Small talk is a waste of time. Not always. (laughs) Depends on the day and how you're feeling. Oh, sorry. That was true or false. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So no. no. False. (laughs) Rewriting the rules like all the entrepreneurs do. Yes. Hmm. Last question. True or false? Age is a matter of mind. True. Awesome. Now... We forge boldly to just because. Now, I sent you these before, and you were so assertive with your boundaries of which ones you wanted to answer. And one that you, which is wonderful and appreciated, which is why I send them out in advance on this section. One of them you didn't want to answer was, what movie would be greatly improved if it was made into a musical? And I'm only sharing that because (laughs) when I read that question, I thought about how ridiculous it would be if Shawshank Redemption was a musical. <laughs> mm, yeah. That, Do you that know that movie? That would be ridiculous. And I have seen that movie, yes. Okay. Yeah, I could not imagine that as a musical, <laughs> but that would probably would be, be a, a good answer. Yeah, or like Iron Man or like an Avengers movie or something like that would be kind of weird as well. I guess maybe I will answer that. I could just... And my, my wife and I would just watch like uh, the Wolverine movie recently. Mm-hmm. And like, I could not see that as a musical. That would be weird <laughs> as well. So those genres would not fit. Which is extra funny because the Wolverine is played by Hugh Jackman, right? Yes. So he's very capable of singing and it would also be a ridiculous musical. <laughs> I think it would be. It, it just depends. And it, I think my initial hesitance for that question was because I, I don't know much movies and I don't know many musicals. So I was like, I w- maybe I wasn't willing to expand my thoughts on that one. <laughs> but now I am. Yeah. Well, one answer, one question that you were um, excited and comfortable and wanted to answer was... What is the funniest corporate slash business screw up that you've ever heard of? Yeah, this one, I was like, well, I'm not like in corporate. My initial thought was I'm not in corporate, but like I don't hear a lot of other people's business stories, but I could share one of ours. And for us being in mobile home parks, or as a lot of people see them as trailer parks, and yes, they definitely are that sometimes, um, you just get some interesting stories and interesting situations, interesting people, site managers, homes, whatever it might be. And so um, the first thing that came to mind with this one is we we bought a park outside of St. Louis, Missouri, um, and it was one of our first ones. And we did not know anything about the space. And so when we were out on site, well, we were looking at the property before we bought it. And this gentleman from a park next door came on over to us and started talking to us and turned out he actually used to manage parks and um, he had lived in this one for a while or the other one next to us for a while. And, you know, so we got his information and potentially considered him to be our site manager and turned out like we got a few references and talked to people and everybody's like, his name um, is Tom. I'll give it up. I don't think he listens to podcasts, but his name is Tom. <laughs> and so everybody's <laughs> like, don't work with Tom. He is a drunk. He's just obnoxious. He is unreliable. Like no one likes him, everything. Um, and and not to mention like he, he also, I don't have anything against gay people, but he was gay as well. And he was this 70 year old guy, like only had half of his teeth, I swear. And he also liked men. And so we had some fun stories of him talking about um, his men encounterments, which I don't think that was maybe as appropriate being his bosses. But <laughs> um, all right, I'll tell the story. That's just one that actually came to mind. We, um, we got him a smartphone to have and one of our uh, boots on ground uh, workers went to help him set up like some calling apps and stuff. And when he went to um, 
set up the phone, he had Grinder on his app, which is like Tinder for for males yeah. <laughs> exclusively. And so I'm like, well, I'm glad he's putting his uh, work phone to use, you know. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> but the funny story that we would get is, um, you know, we had episodes of where Tom would get too drunk and would just call us up and be mad. And he called us one day and he's like, oh my gosh, Jane over in lot six, him and, uh, or it, his name was Jim, Jim over in lot six, he's on his lawnmower riding through the park with his son and he's causing so much disruption and the police are out here and I was up in his face and this is unacceptable <laughs> riding your lawnmowers through our park and this and that. And it's just, it's so funny because, you know, for one, we have the police involved and residents entertaining their kids, riding their lawnmowers through our community <laughs> and, you know, the, the drunk site manager calling us and complaining. And it's, um, it, it was very funny um, when Alex and I were on the phone with him that day and having that conversation. And so it's, uh, it's just, it's interesting the things that we've had in this, this space in this industry, because uh, you never know what you'll get. That's for sure. Yeah. So am, am I thinking in the right way when I picture like this analogy of a mobile home park is like a college dorm and there are site managers and site managers are like RAs. And then you and Alex are like the deans of the college, the <laughs> dean of student life. Hey, we'll take it, right? I guess that maybe that could be it. But yeah, close enough. Someone's got to be there to uh, enforce the rules. And if they're not being followed, then the, the upper hand will come and reinforce it, right? And so I guess that's what we do occasionally. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I bet you have so many experiences. And I, I, yeah, I'm very... We, <laughs> we've had some fun one. My uh, phone call today was we've had residents getting BB holes in their windows and police coming out and not sure who it is. We've had residents climbing up telephone poles to remove our security cameras that they don't like that just got installed or, oh you know, people goodness. coming in and just catching stuff on fire or, you know, homes burning down, like just crazy stuff. You never know what you get. And of course, for us, we buy, you know, heavier value add properties. So they need a lot of fixing up. And so the first three to six months can always have some, um, some experiences and some stories with them. Wow. Is there, is there like a weeding out process or a vetting system of who can live where in the places that you and Alex own that Ma Mavdon owns? Yeah, most definitely. So it's, it's really hard when we buy a property, we can't just evict someone if they're paying, even if they're mm. a bad person. And so it usually takes about three to six months to kind of weed them out. Maybe they have a violation. Maybe they miss payments. They're not paying at all. They don't like our new rules or whatever. And so we definitely have a few evictions that happen within the first six months um, because most of the time, the reason the parks are in rougher condition is because the owner doesn't care. And if the owner doesn't care, they'll kind of let residents do whatever they want. So when the new sheriff comes in town, they kind of have a problem with that a little bit. But for the most part, I mean, there's some beautiful communities out there and some that we own and some are rougher, but um, usually they're great folks. But of course, there's always bad apples in the bunch. Yeah, well, I would imagine with every place where humans habitate, habitate, habitat, habitate. <laughs> sure, that works. <laughs> that works. That works. Yeah, wherever there's yeah. humans living, some are yes. some are healthier places than others. Yes, the standards are always different, you know. And I've I've been in homes mm -hmm. introducing to residents, and the conditions they live in just definitely blow my mind sometimes. Or the two broken down cars on their, in their front lawn that they're going to eventually get around to <laughs> just one <laughs> gals in the park being the cat ladies. And she's got 20 cats on her front deck and cat food everywhere that she's feeding. It's just, there's always stories. So it's, um, it keeps things exciting. Yes. And knowing your, yours and Alex's religious view in which you see the world, you come from a frequent Christian background and a frequency of service. I'm sure it's, it's easy for you and comes natural for you to view this as a ministry of sorts. Is that a safe assumption on my part? You know, that's interesting you say that because I've honestly never thought of it like that. And I guess the reason being is because when I look at ministry or service, um, of course, I can partake with my money or my time. But for me, I see that as like hands on. Right. And so for us, like now we're at the position to where, when we buy a property, one of our team members goes out, 
they meet with the residents. And so like, we'll never even meet the residents or see them or anything for a while. And so for us, we're really disconnected. Um, Mm. But we definitely feel it's our obligation and responsibility to make their their community as nice as it can be. Um, And of course, that comes with rules and and, you know, everybody's adults. And so if they don't follow the rules, they're going to have consequences, you know, and that, that comes with having respect and, and honoring people, because if you love someone, you're going to hold them accountable. And, and so we, we try our best to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. That makes sense that a more hands-on spin and, and from where in the position you are now that has changed greatly. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Our final round of trivia is called Complete This Sentence. Are you ready? I think so. A show that I could binge watch over and over again is? Mm. Netflix has been new to me since I've been married, so I'm trying to think what we've watched. (laughs) Um, We watched Blacklist, and that was a great show that we've been watched. And then once we were done... um, we went on to manifest and watch that. So I, I like Netflix, but my personality, to be honest, is I can only watch something once. I'm not the person mm-hmm. to go back and watch a movie again um, or another series. Like my wife, she can watch something again that she watched, you know, a few years ago, or I know many friends that can. And um, just because they like the show, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I want some new variety. So I'm always on the hunt for the next one. Garrett loved Blacklist, and I've been curious about Manifest. So hearing you say that you and Rita enjoyed it makes me want to go check it out. Well, the sad part is it it was a good show. Um, It was good enough for us to keep watching it at least. But it's like, I feel like once you're, at least for me, once you're two to three episodes in, you're kind of already committed by the third episode, fourth episode. So you're like, all right, let's just finish it. Like, what do we have to lose? Might as well see the, the thing go full circle. Yeah. Yeah, and it's sci-fi, right? Sci-fi-ish? Ish, yep. Ish. Okay, I won't give too much of the plot away. I'm excited. Uh, Next question. (laughs) One trend that I will never understand is? Hmm. Ah, that's a great question. Um... Honestly, I feel like TikTok, like dancing trends... Um, mm. I don't have TikTok. I don't go on TikTok. Um, Same. My wife does, so I, I'll see some of her stuff, like some of um, stuff that she watches sometimes, or like maybe transfers over to Instagram or Facebook. But um, I mean, everybody does things that they enjoy, I guess, and dancing in front of a camera, like maybe that's fun to you. But <laughs> I just. I find myself like having social media fasts sometimes and just removing myself from it because um, it's it's such a time suck. And of course, on my iPhone, I track my screen time. So then if I'm like feeling like I'm missing out on productivity or like the experiences I want, I'm like, man, well, I just spent an hour on Facebook, three hours on Facebook scrolling today. Like, man, that took a lot of my time. So some of the social media trends I I don't understand because I feel like um, a lot of people let's allows for social media to do them uh, rather than you doing and being in control of social media, which I'm sometimes uh, guilty of not doing that, but um, it's something I try to stay aware of. Yeah. I definitely feel you on that. That's so helpful for staying productive and present and more, the more present I am, the more productive and peaceful I feel. Totally. Right. Well, and I feel, I was going to say, I just feel like when you're on social media too, it, 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 opens the doors for other people's problems to become yours. Right. And it's not to be ignorant or like uninformed because I, I try to stay, but it's like when you're seeing what everybody else is doing and comparing with what everybody else is doing um, or someone else is stressed or they have something going on in their life, it's like, Oh man, now you almost absorb and adopt that, that stress or that anxiety or whatever it might be that um, without social media, I think it's easier to have less of. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. I've even heard some mindfulness-based cognitive therapist confirm that it's a there are gifts and perks to millennials being more global than any other generation, but one of the biggest con is that our brains were not made to take on as many 
people's problems as become ours when we read about them on our newsfeed, on our wall, on social media, that we are, I've heard one cognitive therapist who's also a comedian, Ruby Wax, make the joke like, we're only supposed to know who our apartment neighbor is sleeping with. And that's all. We're not supposed to know anything else, about <laughs> it. like just our family and our neighbor, period. And so, yeah, I totally feel you on that one. Oh, my goodness. Well, and it's funny, too, because um, an apologetic Christian, Frank Turek, you know, I've listened to some of his stuff that he talks about. And like when he's speaking to an atheist, a question that he asked is, if you knew God was real, would you even want to believe in him? And so it's like, and some people say no. And so it's the same thing with like Facebook and social media debates, like people talking about COVID or vaccine or Black Lives Matter or like this or that or everything. And it's like, if we were to just like ask the question of like, are you open to being wrong? <laughs> and people say no, or like, are you open to changing your thought processes? They would say no. And so like, I find myself and I see other people engaging in stuff that people don't want to change their mind. You know, they just want to defend their point of view. And then it creates this interesting cycle on social media, right? And so uh, that's what I find interesting is people go on there more to defend rather than to receive and be open to other, uh, I guess, concepts. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of amazing, great point. Uh, Speaking of being open, one lesson that I feel I've been learning my whole life is that others are less blank than I once thought. Others are less social than I thought. Mm. I've always been an out, <laughs> I've always, uh, been very social and in high school and in sports and people that I engaged with, um, they're, they were always social. So now being out in like the work world or in church groups mm. or in the community or friends, um, people aren't as social and that's okay. Like I don't expect that or being at the gym and talking to people. Um, but I, I feel like it, yeah, there's a lot of fear or maybe anxiety that's around that. But I, that was the first thing that came to my mind is people being social, not as much as uh, maybe I'd want them to be. Yeah. I remember feeling that way when I was at your, your stage of life as an extreme extrovert, um, when I left graduated college and became a career person and realized, oh, I have to work a lot harder to create community than I did in undergrad life. And then I noticed, oh, do I, I seem to want this more than other people. And, and, uh, just recently I was sharing with a friend, I flat out just told her that almost like I was proposing to her, I said, um, cause she wanted to invite other acquaintances to join us to an event. And I, I just straight up told her because I've gotten so firm with my boundaries and so aligned with my desires in the past three years as I've become a self-employed entrepreneur. So I'm, I'm very picky with my emotional currency, as lame as that sounds, but I am. And when I find someone I enjoy being with, I flat out tell them. So I, I was very assertive with her and I said, I, I just wanted to be you and I, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, um, I love I love being with you and is that okay with you? And so, but um, it felt it... It, it, you would think in in my, my age, mid mid thirty five. At my age, it there wouldn't have to be moments where you have to work hard. And there, I notice I, I sometimes text friends more um, and kind of keep a, a friendship. I, I wouldn't say that I, if I catch myself um, working harder to make the friendship work. Uh, then I will, of course, be a, a somewhat emotionally healthy human and stop forcing it. But if someone is just sometimes um, they're apologetic that they have forgotten to respond, that the, they'll get it back on their schedule another time. If if I see that they are they are they are wanting the friendship as much as I am, then I will I will definitely be the one to. Um, if they say text me on Monday, then I'm going to text them on Monday. If that ramble right. made any sense, I I, I feel you and I. I, um, my coach and I believe your coach too, right? AJ is Jonathan both are your coach. Yeah. He, 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 he and recently pointed that out as a gift, the desire to go above and beyond for connection and to maintaining relationships that it's, it's a gift. And so I receive that as a compliment (laughs) and Hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I honor that and you of being able to, you know, communicate that with your friend and, and I challenge myself to do the same and I fail often, but I think it's, it's absolutely 
necessary to like, how often do we miss a moment because we're afraid to be extra vulnerable or to be mm. honest with someone? And, you know, I, I heard this in a podcast the other month it's like, or the other week, like, if you knew you had 30 days left to live, like, what would you change in your life? And let's take another spin on that. If you had one last time to see a friend or a spouse or a kid or a parent or a grandparent or a random person at the store, what would you want to say to them? And we all love to receive the, wow, Meg, you, you are so intentional. I love your energy and I just love your ability to X, Y, Z, blah, 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 right? But then it's like when we feel that, we love to receive it, but it's uncomfortable to give it. But I think it's our responsibility um, to, to share the way that we feel about people, um, not in a weird way by any means, but it's like, mm-hmm. um, I think that deepens the relationship and it's a step for the relationship to go further um, with a friend or someone um, when you're being that extra vulnerable. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. I'm so thankful that vulnerability is becoming more embraced thanks to authors like Brene Brown and, and others who write about it and thanks to events like the one that we met at, at the uprising that is making, regardless of gender, bringing the strength back to vulnerability, the attractiveness to it. Yeah, yeah. it is. That's for sure. What is one lesson that you feel you've been learning your whole life about yourself? I am more blank than I once thought. I am more capable than I once thought. And I think for me in this season of life is knowing, I've always known that like God's given me some abilities to connect, to relate, to make me feel comfortable, to lead to whatever that looks like. I think recently recognizing the capacity I have and now getting curious around, okay, what do I need to introduce in my life? What do I need to remove from my life? What do I need to change to step into that next kind of level of capacity to serve, to love, to experience, to, to have success. And just, um, I think that's where, what comes to my mind. Mm. I love the emphasis you have on changing your environment to set you up for success. It's crucial. And I I was always thankful. My, my parents were always teaching me the concept of your inner circle and your outer circle. There's your inner circle of friends that you do life with, that you're raw, you're real with, you run alongside with you, you're happy, you're sad, you're broken, whatever. And then there's your outer circle. And I think often when you speak of your environment, um, and people not liking their environment, is sometimes when they're letting people in their inner circle that haven't earned it or don't have the right to, or have hurt you too much. Um, and you open yourself for your environment to be polluted, to be messy, to be full of drama, to be distracting, to be discouraging, depressing, whatever it is. And it um, doesn't allow for you to, to move at the speed of what you want. Wow. Oh, you were so right. I love the I think it's Jim Rohn who wrote the book, You Are the Average of the Five People You Hang Out With the Most. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And that also, since I work with authors, that also applies to the entertainment. So what you're reading, if you have a favorite show that you fall asleep to, if it's a book, like the the protagonist in the book or in that book series becomes one of those people. <laughs> Mind-blowing. Yeah. Well, and it's so, so cool because – we, we don't even have to hang out with people, right? <laughs> like we can mm-hmm. have our podcasts, our YouTube, our Spotify stuff like that. We get to listen and yes. be around people that it, it, 20 years ago, we would have to go and pay before I was born, right? <laughs> you'd go yes. and pay to an event to see them in person or like you'd have to be a part of an elite group that um, now you just get access to them online, which is great. So great. I remember in 2016, when I had the nudge to write my first book, I began, I was a new mom. So my daughter was under two. She was 15 months old when I started my first book because my husband, Garrett, went on night shift, his company. He's part of a startup and they wanted him to build a night shift. So I was a new mom with a baby at home and I whined and whined like, what am I going to do? No one's here with me at night. And then I switched my mindset to, this is awesome. What can I do with all this free time? I'm going to learn Spanish and write a book. And so I began to fold laundry and nurse Henley to TED Talks from authors and Mm. entrepreneurs. And I I inhaled so much content that just catapulted me into writing my own book and starting my own business. 
Mm. Wow. Do you, I'm curious, do you find that based off of the experience of this, that you just shared that you have to, in order to be like optimistic that you have to experience some pain or discomfort, or do you think people can go directly to it? I'm sitting with your question. Is hmm. your question, is your question, does more growth come from discomfort? I don't know. I was just, I, you know, I heard you say like, you were whining and you're like, oh, woe is me, like I'm all alone. And then you're like, well, what can I do with this? And so you were saying like you experienced like some discomfort, yeah, around that or like some sadness around that before you're like, no, I want to catch myself and this is what I want to experience. Um, and based off of what we've learned from Uprising, like it's okay to play that spectrum and that full yeah. experience of a little sad right now, but I accept that it's okay. Um, but here's actually what I desire. And I, I mm. feel that people may for myself included, you know, be overly optimistic. No, it's okay. I'm happy. I'm going to embrace this. Boom, 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 boom. And we stack on top of something without knowing fully what's underneath, you know? And so it was just a thought process that came to mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, that's so beautiful. I had a, I had a feeling that you were going to ask me a question on this show. So I'm glad my intuition was, was spot on. And I'm <laughs> so glad you asked the question. And so being the spiritually attuned go-getter that you are, a, a Christian, I, I'm i sure you'll relate to the answer I'm about to give. I, I, was, I was super whiny because my, I was home alone with a baby and Garrett had made this life change professionally that I did agree to. Um, and then I had this amazing, I would say, moment with the Holy Spirit, a moment with God, this divine inner confirmation that... Um, that the the life that I had always wanted, which was serving others through spoken and written word, it this moment of discomfort, this this moment that I was whining about was exactly what I needed, that it was creating space for that. So I guess I blame God, <laughs> but um, but yes, at the same time, yes to what you said, I did allow myself to experience like this is hard this is really hard to be a full-time working parent and mine and garrett's value was we we didn't do home we didn't do early we didn't do early we didn't have a nanny we didn't do early child we didn't do daycare i stutter because i don't want to offend um daycare can be awesome and more power to people that choose that for Garrett and I, we, we chose to work different hours. So Henley would either be with him or with me for the first four and a half years of her life. And it's, it's, it was a value of ours and it, it was amazing. Like we, we are so glad we got to do it. And so I had to, after I was in this, the pit of my sadness and whining about it, I had, um, I think, I guess I had, I don't guess, I know I had the, the practices in place of meditating and journaling and being in a sacred text, um, at that point it was the Bible and, and being, being reminded by God that that which I desired and what he made me to do required this required that for three years, Garrett and I would work different shifts. We'd parent though. We want to parent. We'd both chase our individual goals. And, uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be an entrepreneur now <laughs> without that, that moment. So, I guess, did I answer your question in my sermon that I just gave? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think you did there. Um, at least, at least <laughs> enough for what I was looking to dig up. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Because I too have been, I have been, which led to my second book. I have been the recovering, optimistic holy roller, and um, I have been the one that's too optimistic and repressing negative or not negative, but repressing anger, repressing sadness. And yeah. So totally. Um, yeah. So for, for our listener, you are probably very aware that Dylan is like yourself and is a spiritually attuned go-getter that believes ambition is holy. Correct me if I'm wrong. Believes ambition is holy. Doesn't play small in the name of religion, has a high frequency of service to others has a high level of self-awareness of his gifts, his calling, 
his virtues, his vices, and takes naps, maybe meditates, plays, rests, because he knows that he's not the only one showing up, that God's also showing up. So if you are a spiritually attuned go-getter like Dylan and myself, you might be interested in my little theological, satirical self-help book. I tell people that if Seth Meyers and a nun were to conceive a book baby, it would be this book. It is I Am My Own Sanctuary, How a Recovering Holy Roller Found Healing and Power. It's, as NPR's Dr. David Dalt called it, a full steam comedic rant. This satirical Amazon bestseller was written for other recovering people pleasers and encourages them to own the power of the divine within in order to take back the power over their lives from others and move with more confidence, even if some days you feel like a fake while still making time for your social life and without disappointing those that you respect. So if you want to check out I Am My Own Sanctuary, How a Recovering Holy Roller Found Healing and Power, it is on Audible if you don't like to read. It's on paperback, and it's also on Kindle. And speaking of listening to books while you do things like snowboard or mow the lawn, let's hear your craziest snowboarding story. Yes. Well, I hate to uh, offend you here, but it wasn't too inaudible. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, I don't think I could snowboard too inaudible. Maybe. I was like, maybe, but no. It's, it would um... be. Yeah. I'm a snow skier and that would be, you're right. That would be very, I don't even know if I could do music. Maybe I could do music. Yeah, I could do music. Totally. Yeah. It's, um, it's fun. Yeah. I can work out to audibles and uh, podcasts sometimes, but then like music has to come on at some point, but, um, craziest snowboard story. I have had some fun snowboarding. My wife and I, we actually got to live in Salt Lake for two months, uh, this past January and it was super fun. We had our seasons passes going up snowboarding often, but, um, so yeah, it's so much fun for me. But one thing that I think of that was crazy is when I was actually with Alex over in Idaho up at Silver Mountain, and it was one of our first few times snowboarding together, and he was better than I, and we would go down and do these awesome like double black diamonds through the hills, and like oh for me gosh. trying to figure out like how to do this stuff, and I've always um, been like that with snowboarding because I didn't really start doing it until after high school. And so like, it was a quick learning curve when my friends had been doing it their whole life. And so I was like, all right, like where you go, I'll follow and I'll eventually catch up, you know, but, um, <laughs> Alex and I, we went behind the, uh, he's like, Oh, I used to snowboard over here. We went behind the boundary and it was this hill and well, this, this steep hill to this, like jump at the bottom and, and then like landing on a downhill incline as well. And I went down, boom, sent it, it way too high. Like couldn't land it, whatever. Oh. And then I got my camera out and I started filming Alex. He's like, watch this. And he went down the mountain and like just sends it way too far and does about three to four end over end cartwheels, like, and then face plants into the snow. And we're both laughing and I'm like riding down to him. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, dude, my shoulder hurts so bad. And I'm like, what? Like you're getting old already. And, and he, uh, he sent it a little too hard. And fortunately after like four Advil, I think, uh, he was back on the slopes, you know, a little bit later, but that, that was the first thing that came to mind. Cause there was, it was all documented. And so I can look back at him and I have quite a few times of just uh, going hard, but, but, uh, it was fun. It was really fun. Oh my goodness. That's so amazing. I'm so glad you got it on camera. I know. Yeah. Cause most of the time you're just like trying to be in the experience, but I was like, no, I want to film this. So if anything happens and sure enough, it did. Well, they, speaking of videos, they just released our trailer, as you know, from the uprising event that we, we met at. And at that event, there was this really interesting moment that, that, that was with you. And like, everything at that retreat, even when someone else was talking about their own experience, it was very healing for me. And there was one exercise that we did where we had to stand up to five people that we we were obsessing too much about their, their opinions of us. And we were challenged to role play, to stand up to them. And you were challenged to stand up to Jesus and tell Jesus 
that you didn't care. You didn't give a, actually to state the exact words, you didn't give a fuck what Jesus thought about you. And I, that meant so much to me. And I definitely empathized with you. And I felt that, oh gosh, for four years ago, I would have really struggled to do that. And I wanted to hear your part, your, I wanted to hear you process that. Um, what do you think made the facilitator ask you that? And how did that moment make you feel? Yeah, that was a tough moment for me. That was really tough. And it was actually caught on camera too. So you could see my eyes crying and everything. Yes. Um, I think uh, as a believer, of course, you, you care what Jesus thinks and you want to serve the Lord and you want to bring honor and glory to his name and to the kingdom as, as we read about and hear about. Um, for me, that was a lot of just my life, you know, serving in young life, serving in the church. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just part of my life. And so I think that was a chance for me to kind of cut the ties of loving Jesus out of like an expectation versus like being able to embrace Jesus um, and knowing like, I'm not trying to prove his love or earn his love um, that my actions can do anything more to, for me to receive his love. Um, and it was a really hard thing for me to say. I felt that it was disrespectful to an extent. Um, I felt that it was like, did I mean it? Did I like, is that too crude to say? Um, and so it, it was hard. I think when I had seen that this question was going to come up today, it was probably my first time actually like really processing that and what it meant to me. Um, but I think like the, the ability to just embrace, you know, all parts of our, of our faith. And for me being able to just embrace that, okay, like God loves me, God is for me. And like, I get to choose to love and, and be for him um, because I want to not because I have to, not because I'm a Christian, not because I'm supposed to serve on Sundays or on Wednesdays or Thursdays, whatever it is, it's because I want to. Um, and so for me, that was kind of that next big breakthrough um, in my faith. And I feel like since I've been back home, my faith has been stronger. My relationship with God has been more intentional. Me being able to meditate on the word truly, me being able to breathe and receive the scriptures better, um, has been something that it's, it's been a more fun experience. And so that was a, a tough moment for me. It really was, but I'm yeah. glad that I was kind of pushed, pushed to do it. I could feel, I could feel that it was a tough moment for you. And I, I was curious what you also thought when, when the facilitator pushed even harder and said something along the lines of the, ex your conversations that you've had with Jesus have all been made up in your head, which I'm pretty sure is not what he, he believes, but just him stepping into the role of challenger to help you grow. But how, how did that land with you? Yeah, that was, um, that was tough for sure. I think it kind of challenged the depth of, of my faith a little bit. Um, it challenged my, yeah, I think the depth of my faith and me, like, is it really me listening to the Lord or is it me letting my thoughts get in my head? And I think allowed for me to have a little bit more curiosity to discerning the difference mm -hmm. between those two. Um, yeah. but yeah, I forgot that's, I know cause I was challenged, but I couldn't remember exactly a few things that were said, but it was hard. It was really hard to do that as tears were running down my eyes, <laughs> down my cheeks. Yeah. And that was another powerful moment for you. As I remember as, as one that also represses anger and sadness was that I believe you shared that you don't cry often or at all. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Up until that time, there was maybe two times that I could think of crying in like 
the last many years of my life. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. at that event was, I think, just a, a really large breakthrough for me to mm-hmm. be okay with feeling the emotions to knowing what's going on, um, to accepting it, to loving it, to being able to play the full spectrum of, okay, if I want to enjoy complete bliss and happiness and joy, am I okay with the sadness and anger and hurt and disappointment that could be attached with that? And I think as I was able to recognize the the mess and the discomfort in all emotions allowed for me to, I think, be more emotional. And since then, yeah, I've found myself in worship crying, <laughs> like um, dealing with conflict with my wife or good times with my wife, getting choked up or, um, you know, times that my men's Bible study, like talking about stuff, getting choked up. And it's just, um, yeah, it's a new, new thing for me. That's for sure. I, I love working with my writing clients on getting back into their bodies when they're experiencing writer's block or when they're having to write about hard, heavy topics, and which seems to be the only type of client that I attract, which is so wonderful. They're all writing such <laughs> healing books about uh, eating disorders or divorce or ho- Holocaust survivor or drag entertainer, um, opioid addiction just really heavy topics and then going and some of them are memoirs. And so they're really writing about tough subjects. So we, we talk a lot about getting back in our body and we do that similar to the uprising event. We do it to uh, guided meditations or journaling sheets or field trips. Um, and that helps us to get back into our body. So that is the motive for my next question, which is before you began to cry, do you remember what you felt in your body when you would have sadness, but no tears? I would feel a lot of tightness in my my throat, tightness in my face, and it would kind of start to creep down to the top of my chest and just, um, and I could feel my voice start to tighten up a little bit, um, but it just wouldn't progress to tears. And I think what would follow that is, is my mind jumping to something else or trying to distract myself with a different conversation and wasn't able to like experience that fully. And so I think the expect the effect didn't play out as it should have or as my body maybe wanted it to. And I stopped it. Wow. That's so powerful. That's so powerful that that one event could lead to such drastic change. Like you're totally, you're, you chose to, like you said, to experience the whole spectrum of human emotion and, and also the power like you said, you stopped it at the same time. Like your body was wanting to experience this moment and <laughs> our lovely over-analytical mind got in the way <laughs> of that moment. And and as we know, that way of surviving served you in the relationships that you were in, um, not knowing your whole life story, but I imagine that it did serve you well. And now in the relationships that you're in, it doesn't serve you. You don't need to be that way anymore in order to survive. And Right. That's so freeing. Well, thank you for going down that down that rabbit trail with me about um, mm-hmm. the tightness of what your body experienced with sadness. And it, I think it's really helpful because there are still, I shouldn't say still, lo siento, Freud and slip, but I am surprised when I meet people of all ages who, regardless of gender, they're, they're not sure of how they feel about things. They have no clue their preference. They have no clue their emotion. And so it's so beautiful when we can get back into our bodies, it can guide us to, I love the study around body mapping. I think it was a study done at Stanford, possibly circa 2014, that on a heat map of people's emotions, there are cert- there are specific parts of the body that um, are active, like that um, light up, that get warm, that we feel physical sensations in with certain emotions. And so like um, sadness, the chest and angst and fear, the tummy and the jaw and shoulders and the forehead anger. And um, and of course, love, love and happiness is explosive and we feel it all over the place. Have you ever heard of this body mapping study? I have not. And I'm actually intrigued of it now that you had mentioned that I, I would expect our bodies to have, you know, a physical response to emotions. So I'll have to look that one up. 
Oh, it's Maybe amazing. Send it to me. The body, yes. I'll also drop it in the episode notes. Oh, cool. So people can enjoy it. And it shows, I think, 20 different emotions. And um, love and happiness is is really hot. Like there's orange and red all over the body. It's explosive. But um, depression is blue. There's a numbness. There's no heat. There's a blue all over. And what's kind of creepy is um, actually, no, I don't make it better. Um, what's kind of creepy is... Um, not it's 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 a feeling that you associate with villains mm. is it rate it's not no it's not rage jealousy envy oh man i'm not that i can't i gotta look it up i can't be wrong <laughs> about this um yeah go ahead right go now. ahead this is worth looking up because it's body mapping emotions i'm googling there it is oh it's so good Okay, there is one emotion, and in the picture, yeah, I was right, 2014. Good job, Meg. Good job. Nice. And... That's great. <laughs> no, show me the picture. I don't want to read the words. F and A. Let me see. This is worth the wait. I promise. I promise. Oh, it's good. Now you got me one to Google it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, um, pride, pride and what is that one? Pride and shame. No, there's one that his face looks like a villain. Pride. Yeah. Okay. Pride and shame. It almost looks like the person is wearing a mask, like that the, around the face is all red heat with pride and shame and the yellow, the eyes are burning yellow and envy is the same way. Like envy, pride and shame looks the scariest, (laughs) which is fascinating. And, um, but yeah, that was really, this was so helpful to me on my journey of healing from childhood stuff, all that fun childhood trauma and whatnot. I, I kept saying I was, I was sad about something that was uh, really holding me back professionally and personally it was a, a sad memory from childhood. And then tapping into my body, I, um, I was carrying it on my shoulders and my, like my jaw and that I was calling it sadness all these years, trying to heal my sadness, but it was really anger. And I would not, I'd never have known that if I hadn't looked into body mapping and found out what my body was trying to tell me. And then I was able to heal it and move it, move that emotional energy. Cause I actually, called it what it was, which was, I was fucking pissed. <laughs> I wasn't sad. Right. So, um, yeah. Oh, thank you for, for sharing that. It's, it's, you'll love it. I I'll share that with you after this episode. Then I'll also put it body mapping in the episode notes for, for our listener to enjoy as well. That'd be great. Yeah. So, um, my final question for, for you for, cause I know we got, we got lives to get back to, <laughs> that other parts of our lives, I should say. Um, the question is, do you think that that some Christians, they, they make God's voice equal to other Christians' voices in their life, or they confuse the two? Yes, 100%. Um, I feel like our, our faith is a muscle, and anybody who's been in the gym... And anybody can do bicep curls and move the weight, but are you contracting the weight? Are you feeling it in the desired part of your body? Are you squeezing it? You know, are you focusing your mind on that part? Um, I feel like it's the same thing with our faith. And when we go through the motions, when we read a book, not the Bible, when we just read a book, right? Because um, I think the Bible is the alive and uh, active word of God. And I think like, but it can just be a book if we're trying to read it. Um, And I feel like if we don't spend quality time in solitude with the Lord, whether that be praying, that be fasting, that be reading the word, that being a community, that being worship. um, And to go on a little side note, all of us have our spiritual love languages. For some that could be worship, that could be serving, that could be outdoors, that could be Um, reading the Bible, that could be praying. And I think having that spiritual awareness to saying, at what time in my life do I feel the most close to God? And then positioning yourself for that. 
And I think when you do that more often, you gain that spiritual sensitivity and you gain that awareness. All of us feel that Holy Spirit nudge and that push in certain situations, that conviction to lean a certain way to do a certain thing. Um, and often we may disregard it or we may think it's our mind. Um, and so we go the opposite route, but from my experience, which I fail often at (laughs) when I, when I do obey that nudge and that Holy spirit push, I find myself next time being a little bit more aware of it, being a little more Mm -hmm. sensitive to it. And I think the more that we step out into our faith, we know what God's voice is. It doesn't have to be an actual voice. Rarely do people experiencing that, but the more familiar that you are with God and the way that you become familiar is by spending time with him. And back to the beginning of this episode, when we, when we track our, our life, um, not in an obsessive way, but when we say, man, I spent 72 minutes on Instagram today, you know, but I didn't read my Bible or I, um, watched 13 YouTube videos, but I didn't work out, you know, or I did this and, but I didn't meditate. You know, it's like when we look at the big picture of like, man, like, we're wondering why we're not feeling God's presence is because we're not pursuing the Lord. And for me, there was time in my life up until I was probably just out of high school. Like I was in proximity of Jesus. I was there on Sundays. I was there maybe a few times of the week, but I wasn't in pursuit of him. Um, and I wasn't making time for him like he deserved. And so if that is a priority of, of yours, then you'll want to make time for it. Um, and of course, discernment is is a big thing. Everybody wants to listen to a sermon. Everybody wants to hear from a pastor or from a mentor, but what does the word of God say? What does God say to you? Um, And I'm expanding on this more because it's so funny, like over the past two weeks of our um, young married couples, uh, small group that my wife and I are doing, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit in prayer. So this is fresh in my mind. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Yeah. So it's great. Um, But so often like also we're we're talking and praying but we're not listening and there was a book i read like four minutes to hearing god's voice and the concept is that simple like so many times we pray and and lord help me with this help me with that but like do we pause and listen do we set a four minute timer and just sit just like when we're meditating and that's where i think meditating is a great practice because it allows for us ourselves to be still and okay with that so that when we want to wait on the Lord, because we've all heard that, but how often have we done it? Because I know I haven't done it enough, right? Um, and so being able to to pray and listen instead of just always talk, I think. And after a five-minute rant, maybe there was a few takeaways on how to be able to discern from the voice of other people versus the voice of God. But um, that's what I am trying and continuing to do in my life. And I've heard it uh, works for a lot of other people as well. I love this idea of being in proximity, but not pursuing. That is so powerful. Yeah, it's it's one of those things to where for me, like I would be partying on the weekends, smoking weed or sleeping with my girlfriend or and then going to church together um, or, you know, struggling with other addictions or like whatever it might be lust or porn and then like going to church and like just acting like, okay, on Sunday, everything's going to be okay. Like we all know that God loves us. We all know that God's calling us to a higher life, but a lot of us are in proximity with God and we're just tolerating it. And so for me, I had to make a choice of like, man, when you look around in this earth and you see how beautiful and vast and intricate and unique and and special that it is, I believe there's a divine creator. If you don't, that's okay. (laughs) But I'm like, man, I want to know who this God is and I want to be in pursuit of him um, if I do believe um, what I've heard, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And for with such courageous vulnerability that was so needed, so needed to myself and to to others. I'm, I'm certain of it. And for those that want to pursue you, I know you have a master class coming up. Like, how can people stay in touch with you and the great work that you're doing in the world? Yeah. Um, Facebook, I'm on just Dylan Stewart. And of course, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, we do have a mastermind or a Facebook group, Elite MHP Investing. Um, can connect with us there. But that's probably the best way. I am on Instagram, but most days of the month, I don't have it on my phone. 
Um, so yeah, connect with me there and I would love to reach out and talk with anybody on anything in life. And so it's a, life's a fun game and let's show up every day to play it.